Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. It is God's word written to me. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. So I receive it as truth for my life today and open my heart to hear God speak a word, reveal Jesus to me, fill me with the Holy Spirit, then send me out to share Christ with others so that my life will be changed forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. More than believers. Come on, say it with me. More than believers, and the subtitle is The Making of a Disciple. More than believers, the making of a disciple. This is on your sermon guide. It's a powerful quote. The hour calls for people who are more than simply believers. We need disciples. People who not only know who Jesus is, but who are equipped to do what Jesus did. Come on, that's a good place for an amen. John 14, 12, Jesus is speaking and he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me. Come on, do I got anybody who believes in Jesus here? He who believes in me, the works that I do. He will do also. Come on. What are some of the works that Jesus did? Don't be afraid to just shout it out. Come on. Healing. Jesus brought healing to people. What else? Deliverance. What would you say, Maurice? Food. He fed people. Right? Multiplied the loaves and the fishes. What else? What other works did Jesus do? Come on. Don't be afraid. Don't be bashful. He walked on water. What else did he do? He broke the veil. I don't know if we could do that one. That's a big one. Come on, what other works did Jesus do? He died for us. What did he do that we could do? He loved people. He brought healing to brokenheartedness. He served people. He defended the defenseless. What about preaching? Did he preach? Oh, he preached. Did he teach? He taught. Right? Preaching, teaching, healing, deliverance, feeding people, loving people, defending the defenseless. He blessed people. Right? He prophesied over people. I mean... Jesus from heaven got some things done while he was here. Amen. Notice what he said. He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. Most scholars would say it's greater in scope because Jesus was in one place at one time when he was here. And then when he left, he sent the Holy Spirit, 
and the Holy Spirit indwells, the Holy Spirit of Jesus indwells all of his followers, all of his disciples, and now we're all over the world, and we're all able to do what he did even simultaneously all over the world. Greater works than these. Does that make sense? More than believers. Jesus calls every believer to be his disciple. Being a disciple is a choice. Being a disciple is more than a confession. It is a commitment to follow. Those are the three main takeaways from last Sunday's message. Pastor Robert, what's a disciple? We don't use that word a lot, but it's all over the scriptures. I think in the New Testament, around 260 times. A disciple, uh, I think in its most basic fundamental definition, is a learner, a student, an apprentice of Jesus. I've come up with a definition. I borrowed it. I'm using it from another pastor. He doesn't mind. I don't know that it's the best. I wouldn't say it's the best. It's not the only one, but I think it's a workable definition. It wouldn't hurt to memorize it and to begin to implement it in your life. A disciple of Jesus is a person who follows Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, and is on mission with Jesus. Come on, can you say it with me? Say it with me, come on. A disciple of Jesus is a person who follows Jesus, is being changed by Jesus, and is on mission with Jesus. You can unpack each of those words, follows, changed, and on mission. And there's plenty of scriptures to support that and to fill those in so that we really get the meat of what they mean. But that's a great description of a disciple of Jesus. If you missed last Sunday, I want to encourage you, go to our podcast on our website, catch the message. It's an important series for us as a church. But let's look at Matthew 28, 19 and 20 again. I want to read it to you today out of the Amplified version. I like the Amplified. How many of you like to read the Amplified once in a while? It just kind of amplifies it, right? makes it easier and better for me to understand. This is what it says. And Jesus is speaking after he was resurrected from the grave. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Help the people to learn of me, believe in me, and obey my words, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you, and lo, or behold, I am with you always, remaining with you perpetually, regardless of circumstance, and on every occasion, even to the end of the age. Notice where he says, go therefore and make disciples. Not a trick question. You know the answer. Who was he talking to? His disciples, right? He was talking to his disciples. I mentioned this last week, but if you didn't catch it, catch it. Jesus didn't just make disciples. He made disciple makers. Come on, let that sink in. Am I a disciple maker? Now, I know when some people hear that, They're excited. Oh, yes. I want to become a disciple maker. Or yes, I'm on the right track. I'm making disciples. I'm a disciple maker. I'm I'm with you on that side of the spectrum. It wasn't always, but I am now. But then I know that there's some people 
maybe here today or maybe watching this on Facebook a little later who might think, oh no, that sounds scary. (laughs) I'm an introvert. That's not my cup of tea. I just want to be a disciple. I don't want to become a disciple maker. Pastor Robert, are you going to make me become a disciple maker? Joey says, absolutely. (laughs) Listen, I'm not going to make anybody. Jesus won't make anybody become anything you don't want to follow him into. Amen? He won't. But let me just gently encourage you. There were 12 disciples. I don't think all of them were extroverts. And I don't think Jesus' desire to make disciples disciple makers was based on their personality. It was based on his power. It was based on the spirit of Jesus enabling people, regardless of their personality, to become disciples who can make disciples. The word make disciples really is one Greek word, mathatuo, mathatuo. It's an important word, M-A-T-H-E-T-E-U-O, mathatuo. And it simply means to teach or instruct, to teach one to be a disciple. So when Jesus says make disciples, he's saying teach others what I taught you so that they can become my disciples who at some point will be able to teach others and make other disciples. That was the frame of thought Jesus had when he was saying this. Now, this is important. What we are taught will either help us to build strong foundations in our lives or weak foundations in our lives as disciples. How many of you think when building any structure, foundations matter? That's the title of today's message. Foundations matter. Subtitle, the foundations of a disciple. How many of you know that if we're going to make disciples or we're going to become disciples, our foundations matter? Amen. I have a picture that I want us to look at. This is uh, the Tower of Pisa. And when we build a house or any kind of structure... It's important to build on a solid and a firm foundation. If we don't, the entire structure can become unsupported. And it may begin to lean. It may begin to sink. And eventually it could collapse. Think about the leaning tower of Pisa. It leans because the foundations were not built correctly. They did not invest the time and effort into using the right material to build a solid and deep foundation. And generations later, we see the after effects of what may well have been perceived as a minor oversight. The lean of the tower could have been avoided relatively easily, but they neglected to give the proper attention to the foundation. Let me read that again. But they neglected to give the proper attention to the foundation. And if you want to build right, You need to get the foundations right. Now, many people's faith 
in Christ and life in Christ, for that matter, have a lean to it because the foundations are not right. And if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, we must take the time to lay the proper foundations of our faith and then build upon that. Can somebody say amen? So what are the foundations for being a disciple of Christ? Well, I think that they're here in what Jesus said in the Great Commission. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of who? The Holy Spirit. Now, this passage gives us some insight into what our foundations are as a disciple. Now, I want you to think about this. They were baptizing people in what? Water. Water, right? But notice Jesus didn't say or emphasize baptizing them in water. He knew that they knew that. He emphasized in whose name they were to be baptized in. The name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. And it's important to remember that in biblical thought, a name does not simply identify. It expresses the essential nature of its bearer, of the one carrying the name. And that's why so many people in the Bible would name someone but under their name, behind their name, hidden in their name, was, was a description of who that person would be or who that person was in the eyes of the parents when they named them. So the point I'm trying to get across to us is we have to remember that the name bears the essential nature of the person who carries the name. And you got to recognize that because we have to realize, number one, fill in the blank, our foundation as a disciple is the love of God, the Father, the finished work of Jesus, the Son, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus told his disciples when they baptize people, make sure you baptize in them in the name of of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So number one, fill in the blank, our foundation is the love of God, the finished work of Jesus, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Letter A, the first part of my foundation is God's love. God's love. God loves you as though you are the only person in the world, and He loves others like He loves you. That's from Dr. David Jeremiah. He said, God loves you as though you are the only person in the world and he loves others like he loves you. The very, very fundamental foundational piece of your relationship with God as a disciple is the love of the Father. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 in the Amplified puts it this way. By this, the love of God was displayed in us, in that God has sent His one and only begotten Son, the one who is truly unique, the one of His kind, into the world, so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, that is, the atoning sacrifice and the satisfying offering for our sins, fulfilling God's requirement for justice against sin and placating his wrath. Placating means satisfying. Jesus satisfied the wrath of God for our sin. Come on, somebody say amen. Why did he do that? He did that because the Father loves you. If you're going to become a strong disciple, you have to know that you know that you know by revelation from the Spirit that the Father loves you. As imperfect as we are, the Father loves you. The Father can't love you any more than he loves you now. He loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Foundation number one. Letter B. The second part of my foundation is the finished work of Christ. The finished work of Christ. Think about that with me. Because of the finished work of Christ, you are forgiven. You are made new. You are set free. You are victorious. You are adopted. You are accepted. You are blessed. Now, Regardless if you're experiencing, emphasized word, all of those attributes of a son or daughter of God in your life, that doesn't nullify the fact, scripturally speaking, you are all of those things because of the finished work of the Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? You are. You may not have caught a complete revelation of that. You and I may not be living it out in its totality yet. But it doesn't nullify the fact that we are. Think about 2 Corinthians 5.21. He, God, the Father, made Christ, who knew no sin, to judicially be sin on our behalf. Judicially. That's a legal term. In the courts of heaven, after Jesus sat down and all of the sacrifice for our sin was done, God pronounced you and I acquitted. Guiltless, forgiven, judicially. He made Jesus who knew no sin to judicially be sin on our behalf so that in Him we would become the righteousness of God. That is, we would be made acceptable to Him and placed in a right relationship with Him by His glorious loving kindness. Come on, somebody say amen. The finished work of Christ is a major foundational piece that you have to begin to build your life on as a disciple. Most people struggle with the fact that they're pure, they're righteous, they're holy, they're forgiven. All of your sin, past, present, and future, is under the blood. It's been taken care of. It's covered. And the enemy will use our mistakes, our sins, our shortcomings to bring condemnation and bombard us and get us to come out of alignment with the finished work of Christ and to think that we're not, for one reason or another, forgiven. And that affects our walk with God. That affects our ability to live at the level that God wants us to as disciples. I don't know if you know this or not. Many of you probably do, but I think it's worth repeating. In the Bible, Jesus is called the last Adam. And he's also called the second man. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Those are titles. And you have to study that out a little bit to catch a revelation. And I haven't always realized this. 
But he was called the last Adam because as a representative head of creation, he went to the cross as the last Adam. And all of the sin nature that came through Adam for every human being was put on him as the last Adam when he died on the cross. In other words, the end of the first created human being race was cut off through Jesus, the last Adam. Now, that's pretty good. But what's even better is he's also called the second man. When Jesus resurrected from the grave by the power of the Holy Spirit, all of heaven was pronouncing that there's a second start to a new creation. And here's the first one. It's Jesus. That's why he's called the second man. The first Adam sinned. The last Adam paid for it on the cross. And the second man, Jesus, resurrected. And guess what? You resurrected with him. And now you're a new creation. Not a used, rebuilt creation. You're born again as if you had never sinned ever. You weren't born again with a sinful nature like you were the first time. You were born again by heaven, by the finished work of the cross. And you were born into a relationship with God Brand new, forgiven, holy, redeemed, and righteous before God. Because of the second man and the finished work of the cross. That's powerful. That's like, my mind goes tilt when I think about that. To be born again literally means to be born from above. To be born from a higher place. To be born from heaven. To be born from God. Now, you have the very seed nature of God living on the inside of you as a born-again Christian. That's powerful. Think about Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Don't even know if that's on your notes, but this is what it says. Even when we were dead in trespasses, we were made alive together with Christ By grace you have been saved, and we were raised up together, and we were made to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When you and I were still sinners because God loved us, and because of the finished work of the cross, when we accepted Jesus, our spirits were born again, and we were made alive We were raised up together with Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and the resurrection. And now Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And you and I are seated in Him. And when God looks at Jesus, He sees us and He's completely pleased with us. That's the finished work of the cross. That's the finished work of Jesus. God made Christ, who had never sinned during His life on earth in any way, to become our sin. Jesus' death then paid the price for our sin, removing our guilt and removing the obstacle between us and God. Instead of being sin ourselves, those who come to God through faith in Christ and His finished work are given credit for Christ's righteousness, sinless life. We become God's righteousness and are reconciled in our relationship with Him because of the finished work of the cross. That's a major foundational building block for you as a disciple friend. Amen. That's powerful. I know you don't know me, 
the way I used to be, but I know me the way I used to be. And that's miraculous for me. Is it for you? It's miraculous. Here's the third part of my foundation, and I'm going to take a little bit more time on this, okay? Letter C. The third part of my foundation as a disciple is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Come on, say it with me. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The greatest gift to the world is Jesus Christ. But the greatest gift to the church is the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised the gift of the Holy Spirit to his disciples. You remember Acts chapter 1 verses 4 and 5 and 8. A while being together and eating with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, of which he said, You have heard me speak. For John truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized and empowered and united with the Holy Spirit not long from now. That was Jesus speaking to his disciples. Verse 8, But you will receive power and ability when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses to tell people about me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. You know, I was spending time, investing time with the Lord the other day, and I was thinking about this verse, and then all of a sudden I realized that you can't connect, disconnect these verses from the Great Commission. The Great Commission, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Hold on to that. Before they actually go, he commands them to wait. What? I don't understand. Go, wait. I'm confused. They needed residing on the inside of them. What Jesus had. Who Jesus had. So that they could do what Jesus did. And he commanded them to wait. And when you study this out over in John chapter 14 and 15, Jesus is talking to them about the promise of the Holy Spirit who would come. 16 or 17 times, he uses masculine personal pronouns in referring to the Holy Spirit. Not a power, not an it, not a ghost, like in a weird Casper way. Not, not, not just a, an orb, not a force, a person. A person. Over and over and over. He talked to them about the coming person of the Holy Spirit. He says, when he comes upon you, you're going to receive power. This word power is the Greek word dunamis. Many of you know that. It means great strength. It means great ability, great power, or great force. It's talking about the supernatural power of heaven that comes with the person of the Holy Spirit on a disciple of Jesus Christ so that he can minister as an extension of Jesus Christ in the world in which he lives. Amen? That's exactly what it's talking about. The dunamis in Jesus, think about it, resulted in dramatic transformations. And this is supposed to be the norm for the spirit-filled and spirit-led disciples 
and New Testament church. We must not separate the spreading of the gospel, i.e. the Great Commission, with the necessity of receiving the same Holy Spirit that the early church received. Amen? We need the same Holy Spirit that the early church received so that we can minister the life, the love, and the power of Jesus. Let me read this quote to you. It's from a book called Pentecostal Spirituality. I don't know if it's on your sermon guide. For Pentecostals, the Holy Spirit is the agent of the kingdom of God. Christ is the king or regent, and the Holy Spirit is the active reigning presence. It is the Spirit who makes Christ and the Father known. It is in this Spirit that believers are presented to the Father through Christ. The kingdom of God is already present, but not yet fully consummated. And let that sink in a little bit. It's the very Holy Spirit of Christ that's active and reigning as the presence of Jesus in the earth. And he's supposed to be moving in and through our lives as believers. So if you want to build, if we want to build a strong foundation that we can stand on, and build a strong life as disciples, followers of Jesus, we have to build it on the love of the Father, the finished work of Jesus, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. What happens if we leave the gift of the Holy Spirit out of the equation? Well, we can't truly be disciples of Jesus. And I'm not talking about just the Holy Spirit in us so that we're saved. I'm not. I'm being challenged. We're Pentecostals. Some of you might be thinking, I don't even know what a Pentecostal is. It's possible. It's possible. Some people don't know what that is. The word Pentecostal, it's a used word to describe a certain uh, group of Christians that believe in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Not just his ability to save you, but his ability to fill you to the overflow with the gifts of the Holy Spirit and with the character of Christ living on the inside of you. That's a Pentecostal. It comes from Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. They were all gathered together praying. What were they praying for? Do you remember? They were praying for the promise of the Holy Spirit to come because Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem, wait, go. And they were waiting. They were all in one accord, not a car, in unity, right? They were all in unity. And the Bible says that when they were praying, like a mighty rushing wind, they heard something come into the room where they were praying. And then they saw supernaturally, I don't know how, but they saw supernaturally what appeared to be tongues of fire sitting on top of the heads of all of the disciples. Do you remember that? Acts chapter 2. And then it says, and all of a sudden they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them the supernatural utterance. How many of you remember that? Okay, that's where the term Pentecostals come from. Some people might not realize that Lakeshore is a Pentecostal church. 
We are. We believe in that. We consider ourselves to be a bridge. And we want to help people who may have had a bad experience with the Holy Spirit. Or they may have a, 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 an unclear understanding of the Holy Spirit. And we want to help them across this bridge to a deeper understanding and a deeper reception of the person of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we believe that's scriptural. We believe that's biblical. We're a Pentecostal church. We need the Holy Spirit moving in power, in signs, in wonders, in deliverance. How many people believe that beyond these walls in these neighborhoods, there are people that need to be set free? There are people that need deliverance. There are people that need to be saved. There are people that need to be set free. There are people that need to encounter followers of Jesus who recognize that the same power that Jesus had lives in and on their life. Can you say amen? These are foundations. Now, I I wish we could talk more, but we can't this morning. But I do believe that the Lord is leading me and leading us into a deeper appreciation and a deeper receptivity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit. We need desperately. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.